I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson, and today we have a special host, Eric Koulis. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Eric is with us today because, unfortunately, our host, Michael Chamberlain's father, unexpectedly passed away. We'll be keeping him and his family in our prayers. As always, we're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be with you, Mary, and uh, I'm glad that Eric is able to uh, be with us as well. So sad, uh, the news about uh, Mike's dad. I wonder, would it be all right if we offered uh, a moment of prayer for his eternal repose? That would be fantastic. Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. May his soul and the souls of all the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. 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 Thank you, Archbishop. I know Mike and his family will appreciate the prayers of our community. Well, and, you know, as as this gets broadcast out, those prayers get multiplied. Yes which is awesome. I know that'll be a great gift to his family. So Archbishop, tell us how your month has been. Have you been busy? What's it been like? I have, uh, of course. It's this, what everybody else is experiencing, this peculiar kind of busyness because of uh, what we need to do to uh, try and uh, fight against uh, the spread of uh, the COVID infection. But yeah, it's been very busy. for my leadership of the art. You, you want me to go down, run down the whole list, Mary? I, I, yeah, I, I sure do. <laughs> Give us notes. what you got, Archbishop Vigneron, for sure. Okay. Um, you know, the most uh, significant thing I've been doing as the chief pastor of the Archdiocese is moving us forward on families of parishes. That, uh, and I know we're going to spend some time talking more about that. Uh, November is a great month uh, because it's a, a particular time of prayer for the holy souls. Um, I think uh, sometimes we're forgetful of our obligation that comes from the communion of saints stretching beyond the grave. Entering into the presence of God requires uh, the depth of love that uh, Jesus himself brings to his relationship with the Father. And so many of us, clearly, uh, we, we don't have that perfect filial love and abandonment, and so God gives us a time to be perfected in order to enjoy fully his presence. And we can help one another with our prayers. So uh, I certainly, uh, for me, uh, November is a great month to remember my mom, my dad, my grandparents, mm-hmm. uh, aunts, uncles, all the people who were so beloved to, uh, to me in this world, and to, and to pray for them. And I have a great confidence that this act of love is reciprocated, uh, mm. that the holy souls uh, continue to pray for us. Uh, in uh, November, I had the chance to be at St. Patrick's Church in Brighton to come celebrate with uh, Cardinal Burke. He okay. came uh, to uh, Brighton in order to make an announcement about uh, some members of a lay faithful group wanting to build uh, a facility for people who uh, suffer from long-term brain injuries. Wow. In honor of Terry Scheibel. And uh, 
the uh, Trinity Hospital System, what we know as St. Joseph Mercy here in our region, are cooperating with that. That's wow, great. So that's going to be local? Yeah, I think it's going to be in Howell, if I recall wow. correctly. That's wow. their aim. That's beautiful. That's I didn't know that that was happening. That's really awesome. Yeah, uh, these are uh, these lay faithful have taken their cue from uh, the hospital that Padre Pio uh, founded in... Uh, southern Italy, hmm. and uh, they want uh, that same spirit, that same charism to be available uh, to those who, who are suffering here. That's really great. Of course, we're spending a lot of time uh, both uh, on the tactical side of schools, trying to yeah. do our best to make sure our schools are safe places. I think we're being quite successful in that. Yeah. Um, but ready for uh, the eventualities that might come. Sure. Uh, flexible about all of that. And also, we're spending a lot of time, a lot of effort on the strategic planning for our schools, especially yeah. how our initiative to unleash Catholic education can fit into families of parishes. That's exciting. I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that. My kids go to a Catholic school, normally not in a pandemic year. And I've, I've, I'm just... I've been so blessed by Catholic education for our family, so I'm excited to see the next phase of that with Unleash the Gospel and with Families of Parishes. That's neat. Well, you know, I hope everybody can keeps praying, Mary. It's a, it's a great challenge, but yeah. I, I think it's very important for the for evangelization. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the sadness uh, these months, this month, these weeks of uh, burying three priests. Uh, not necessarily who have died from COVID. I think the circumstances vary, but uh, uh, who have, uh, as far as we know, uh, have had COVID. Mm. And of course, it's Advent, and uh, it's an opportunity for me to ask God to renew my hope, that, mm. uh, to trust Him, that yep. He never lies, He keeps His promises, doesn't always do it the way we uh, think is the wise path, but he yeah. does, and it's better than, than what we come up with as a scenario. So, Amen. I've well, been echoing that message to so many people because you're so good about saying that just time and time again, that this is God's chosen time and that he keeps his promises and he desires our happiness. Sometimes I feel like I have to repeat it on a mantra as uh, bad news continues to come in. <laughs> so I appreciate you keeping that consistent voice for us as a leader. Thank you. It's been very... Uh, it's been very reassuring for my family, uh, especially. Uh, now, one thing I'm curious about, I know there's a lot that you do, and I don't know exactly how you get a day off, but I know you did have at least one day off, and that was Thanksgiving. How did you get a chance to celebrate Thanksgiving? Well, as a matter of fact, I, I tried to give a good example and not travel, so I wound up uh, having a very private Thanksgiving. I talked to uh, a, a physician I know, uh, talked about what, what I might have done, he said, well, Archbishop, uh, the safer thing is uh, not to be in larger gatherings. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And I uh, tried to make it a, a time to uh, more of a kind of a day of recollection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the food like? Um, there, I don't remember what I ate. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> we have... Uh, uh, there's food in the refrigerator, That's and great. I, 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 love I, that. I got what I, I what I, I tell you, I'm you, not starving. So you, don't, you ate what was set before you. That's that right. Was, 
I like that you said that, though, because I think for so many of us, our Thanksgivings were unusual. My family, we stayed in pajamas all day. My mother-in-law dropped off some uh, some Thanksgiving food because my husband didn't trust me to make it by myself. And it was it was good. But like you said, it was just different. It was a bit of a day of a retreat as our family. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to really recognize the blessings and the differences this year. So it sounds like you had that kind of day, too. I did. You know, one of my uh, very close priest friends, uh, Monsignor Halfpenny, his mantra is, find the grace in the moment. Mm. And I, I mean, we, we take that attitude because of Christ is Lord of history. He's risen. Yeah. And if there were a moment in which he didn't or couldn't give grace, uh, there'd be at least that piece, that part of history that escaped his lordship. And, mm. and there isn't any part that has right. escaped his lordship. Yes. Um, we say this uh, at Mass always when... Uh, the priest proclaims, it is all right and just always and everywhere to give God uh, praise, to give God thanks. And that's Amen. part of uh, what we mean by salvation. Every moment is saved from being outside of uh, uh, thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's the good news, right? That is the good news. And we have more good news up the pipeline. I love how much the Archdiocese is continuing to look and vision to unleash the gospel. Um, This month, we're going to revisit a topic that we discussed in the June episode, which is families of parishes. You referenced it. It's a huge undertaking. But a lot has happened since we last spoke. To refresh our memories, you announced back at Pentecost that over the next few years, all parishes in the Archdiocese of Detroit will join join other parishes to form families of parishes. Can you remind us just briefly uh, what families of parishes are and why we are creating them? Let's start with the why first, Mary. We're doing yeah. it in order to uh, make the optimal use of the resources of uh, time, talent, and treasure that we have in order to uh, be a a church on mission, an evangelizing church. Uh, We are uh, having a a decrease in in our resources. Perhaps one of the most significant is uh, we're having a expecting, and we're seeing and expect in the next 10 years, continued decrease in the number of priests who are available to lead the parish communities. And the parishes are uh, the on-the-ground place for evangelization. We, we can do it at the level above parishes, certainly, but uh, we can't do it without the parishes. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to get this, uh, to try and do this right. What are the families? Uh, they're groupings of parishes uh, that share uh, resources particularly the resource of uh, the priests who are assigned to the, to the family. There are uh, two ways to uh, set up a family. Mm-hmm. One is to have uh, one pastor for the several families that uh, make up a parish mm-hmm. and have the other priests who serve that family uh, be uh, his parochial vicars. Uh, the third way, uh, the second way, and the way w- I think w- m- most of the families will begin, it has a Latin name, in solidum. This is okay. a new kind of canonical institute after the Second Vatican Council, where you, uh, a group of uh, parishes are placed together in a family, and uh, most of the priests who serve that 
uh, set of parishes uh, are all pastors, but they're pastors of all the parishes in the family, and huh. one of them is their leader. And uh, we have the very unromantic title of moderator. I was going to ask, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, there is a leader, uh, but he leads this team of pastors hmm. uh, as well, If depending on the nature of the family. There can be uh, parochial vicars who are uh, associates, assistants to all the pastors in, in the parish. Uh, we received, oh, a few months ago anyway, uh, what I consider uh, from our Holy Father the Pope through his close co-worker on uh, the life of, of parish priests, uh, mm -hmm. the uh, prefect of the congregation for clergy, a directive uh, endorsing this uh, structure of families of parishes and uh, giving us guidance about how to set them up in a way that uh, is most effective and is focused on evangelization. Uh, I don't know if you have any questions. Uh, you've let me run on pretty long here. No, that's but, great. Uh, you when put you your, you that, put your you, quarter in, you get you get you get. What, that's yeah. what we like, Archbishop Vigneron. <laughs> that's what we like. So, so when you say that you received something from the congregation specifically for Detroit in the process, no, of no, this doing, was okay. for the whole for the whole uh, Catholic Church throughout okay. the world. And then, is are there other places that are doing this? Have we looked at other models? Is that kind of what gave us the idea, or was it just yes? A prompting? Other places yeah. are doing it. Uh, probably the the closest. Uh, uh, parallel is uh, across the river. Uh, Windsor, London is, is the sea city, the okay. Diocese of London, and uh, they've been on this path uh, for several years now. Uh, they're also uh, doing something very much like this in Chicago, and uh, as well as in Pittsburgh. And we've learned, uh, been in conversation with them, uh, learning some best practices, and also uh, getting some uh, uh, advice about things to be uh, attentive to, things to avoid. Yeah. So on, on December 9th, the Archdiocese is going to be publishing the Families of Parish Groupings. So the list of that would actually unite and form families. How, how was this list developed? Well, from the ground up, really, uh, under the uh, leadership of the regional bishop, the moderator for each region, uh, with the assistance of the vicars, uh, the parish priests in the vicariate uh, deliberated on what makes sense as a family with the criterion, what's going to help us uh, be uh, a church on mission? Mm -hmm. How can What's the right kind of family to put together so that we can be an event, so that the parishes in the family can be, an evangel be evangelizing communities? The parish priests, uh, we left it up to them uh, to do the kind of uh, lay leadership consultation that they, they judged appropriate. I think that varied from mm -hmm. vicariate to vicariate, but it, uh, it was very much grassroots, and so I have confidence that what uh, the priests have presented uh, comes uh, with the light, the best light they have, uh, and, I, and I, I believe they know by and large, what's the right way forward? Yeah. I've seen the the proposal, and uh, I find it uh, uh, general. I find the the proposals very wise. 
That's great. Just so our listeners understand, like what kind of aspects of parish life do you think they took into account when they were discerning these groupings? Well, sometimes it involved the charisms of uh, uh, the, the generally, certainly this was important. What's the charism of, or the, what are the charisms that are already vital in each parish? How can they be strengthened, complemented uh, by uh, the other possible family members? Uh, sometimes it was about uh, a sufficient uh, similarity of uh, uh, social, economic uh, uh, characteristics that make for easier cooperation. In some cases, a, par a family thought it was better to stretch themselves mm -hmm. and uh, be a mix of uh, more working class and then middle class uh, parishes. I've yeah. seen it go both ways. Um, uh, what else? Uh, in parishes that are uh, typically entrusted to uh, priests of religious orders and congregations, mm -hmm. it involved how best to uh, to uh, incorporate those gifts into the into a family. And sometimes it was about uh, ethnic identity. What can uh, sustain that? Uh, where where can that be uh, uh, complemented? That those were the sorts of issues that uh, uh, came up. Are you anticipating that uh, most parishes are going to be the? I'm sorry, most families of parishes are going to be the same um, size, or are there going to be some that will be bigger, some that will be smaller, depending on what was decided? No, it's a wide range. I think okay. uh, I think the largest is six families, okay. six parishes in a family. And the smallest are three. Uh, okay. One of the things I ask for is that there at least be three. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is the time for me to ref say, Eric and, and Mary, uh, this is not uh, a, a stalking horse for a way to uh, do uh, closures. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to do our best to preserve uh, uh, each family, each parish in the family. I, I, We'll see how that goes, but we don't have, a, I don't have a plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the points was a family of two is very much like, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, like clustering. Mm -hmm. And this is yeah, a, a different true. strategy from clustering. Right. right. No, that's very reassuring. I know a lot of uh, people would like to hear that. So when you, um, as this process has been going on, one of the questions that I've thought about, I'm so excited about it, I want to say that first, I just think this is uh, an obvious outpouring of the Spirit as a fruit of the Senate. It's just very, very clear to me. But one thing that people are wondering about is, what about their clergy? So many people have pastors that they love right now and are wondering, do I get to, is my pastor going to stay with me? Are they going to, where, are they going to have to serve in other churches? What are, what are we thinking we're going to do with the clergy? Or do we not know yet? Well, we know some things and others we don't know. Uh, okay. uh, part of the uh, decision I have to make is which, uh, uh, there, there are two waves. This is going to go forward in a, a first group beginning in July 1, 2021, okay. and the second group uh, July 1, 2022. And there are, there's about 25 families in each group. Okay. Uh, We'll, what we'll have to do is uh, start by looking at the families that uh, find the, the, in the first wave who's going to be the leader. Is it, right. If it's going to be the model one of one pastor 
with uh, several parishes, uh, or or is it going to be a moderator with a team of pastors? Mm -hmm. And then uh, once those are established, we'll look at uh, who what team is going to uh, make up uh, the the team of priests in in the parish. So I would expect. That there might be the need for some movement, but uh, I have no idea to what degree that will uh, occur. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, well, I shouldn't say I have no idea. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm quite confident this is not going to be a wholesale uh, uh, upheaval of the parochial clergy. Okay. That's great. And once the family is established, uh, it will be up to uh, the team of priests and uh, the leadership team in the parish, after proper consultation, to uh, decide how the duties are apportioned among the team of priests in, in the family. Yeah, so what does that mean for parish staffs? What's that transition going to look like? So you have multiple uh, parishes coming together, and it's one family now learning how to work with one another. What could that look like for the parish staff, and how might it affect them? Eric, uh We've worked very hard to put together a kind of playbook to uh, help uh, the moderator or the, the single pastor in the one uh, pastor model uh, think about leading the staff into that sort of new reality. Um, I can just say at a high level, uh, it's going to involve them thinking about how best to cooperate. And mm -hmm. uh, it might mean some redistributing of, uh, of responsibilities uh, within the family. Uh, a simple one I would expect is that uh, those who are catechetical leaders in the parishes in one family will, uh, have, will be uh, blessed to think of themselves as part of a larger team. And it may mean that uh, within that larger team of catechists, catechetical leaders that serve the, the one family, uh, duties are redistributed and people can uh, uh, more clearly specialize in, in uh, what, they, what their charisms uh, lead them to do. But that will be up to uh, the moderator, the single pastor, uh, and the other uh, members of the leadership team to, to uh, resolve. So doesn't, there's no one model for every, uh, for every family. One of the most important things is every family will have a, a new officer called uh, the uh, mission direct, uh, excuse me, the mission support director. Hmm. And uh, this uh, will uh, be in some way like a chief financial officer for the family and all the parishes in the family. And that person should be able to assist everybody in finding new ways of cooperation. I interrupted you, though. No, that's excellent. I just I really appreciate that it's not a cookie cutter approach. I think it's reassuring for uh, a lot of lay ecclesial ministers to hear that. And then that key word there, which a lot of lay ecclesial ministers are really used to. And for our listeners, a lay ecclesial minister is just somebody who professionally works in the church. Uh, the charism. You know, just really highlighting what are the gifts and the talents and, and allowing for those who have blessings in administration to take that on and those who have blessings in other areas of ministries to really forge together and, and help out and assist their, their fellow parishes. I, I think it's excellent. And we do have this, uh, uh, it, it, this isn't a, a novelty in our diocese. Uh, 
some vicariates, for example, is, and both of you as uh, lay ecclesial ministers would know this better than I, uh, some of uh, the vicariates have uh, one common uh, youth ministry, if I recall mm -hmm. correctly. Uh, that's one of the most common uh, uh, shared ministries that I'm aware of. Yeah, I think when, when we can bring our talents together, and I think that's why I'm so energized by this idea. I see it as such an opportunity to have people working together. My dad is a deacon, and uh, before your pastoral letter came out, which we're going to, or your pastoral note came out, we'll talk about that in a second. He gave a homily on it, and he said it's, he was referencing Thanksgiving meal, and he said, you know, we have the kid that makes the mashed potatoes really good, and they bring the mashed potatoes to the table, and there's someone that always does the best dessert, and they bring that to the table, and he said, and sure, sometimes there's a fight over Thanksgiving, you know, meals. Sometimes the uncle gets a little crazy, and you have to calm him down. He said, but there's a beauty in the family being together with their gifts and what they bring to the table. I'm, and I I see that. I really see that vision as we talk about families of parishes. Like, I think it's going to be good, Archbishop Ignat. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, it's a challenge because mm -hmm. we're doing things in a new way. Mm -hmm. But Mary, you, you talked about this being in some sense, and I think it is a, clearly in, a, a fruit of the synod, mm -hmm. which called us to look at all the structures we use to fulfill our mission and to realign them with the mission. And in the end, there might be same, um, some of the same structures, mm -hmm. but we will have thought about them in a new way mm -hmm. and reappropriated them with a, a, a consciousness of how they fill the mission mm. so that we're not to engage simply in keeping the structures alive for their own sake. Right. And also trying to really be uh, attentive, I think, to what the Spirit is doing. And I think uh, when I think about your leadership, I see how clearly the Holy Spirit has moved through it. To help the faithful kind of prepare for this, you put out this document that I had the opportunity to really sit with and read this week, and I'm so grateful that I had time to almost prayerfully meditate on it because it did seem like a little bit of a meditation, um, a document that you wrote a pastoral note called Led by the Spirit on Mission. And in this note, uh, you started by reflecting on the Great Commission when Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How do you see this movement, this families of parishes, relating to that as our journey in the Archdiocese of Detroit? Well, it, it's certainly subordinated. I mean, there to, to that great commission. I mean, uh, there's no doubt that some of what has led us to rethink parish structures are very practical uh, human realities, resources, where we are today. But I see this as God's providential way of asking us. Uh, to uh, rethink all of this in terms of, of mission and to uh, measure everything by mission. And uh, sometimes uh, without a challenge, we're not ready to make those sacrifices. Mm -hmm. But uh, because it, it's not easy to die to yourself, to give up right. the familiar, but uh, we can do that especially with a motivation of confidence that uh, the new thing that's coming to birth will, will help us uh, with fulfilling the Great Commission.
Well, and I like, too, that in, in the document that you put out, in the pastoral note, you mentioned some of the challenges, because I think sometimes it's really important to name the tensions that we might go through as we do something a little bit revolutionary, right? Right. Uh, you know, I, I like your, your father's homily about the, the dinner. Yeah. Um, suppose uh, one of the young adults in the family uh, marries somebody who's really, really good at pastry. Right. And uh, there's an opportunity. So the person who has been doing the pumpkin yes. pies is going to have to make room for that new gift. True oh story. It's not, it's not easy. That's actually so spot on because that's when, and I think that is a challenge. I think that um, especially for those that work in the church and love the church and love ministry, we take ownership over what we've done and we take pride in it. And so the the tension of inviting someone else to bring their pastries <laughs> can make us a little nervous. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely love the beauty of the way that we're going forward as a family though, because there is something about being able to go back to your own home. And mm-hmm. so this is, this is a big difference than what we've experienced in the past. I know um, my family, my extended family is from Saginaw, and I remember a Hispanic parish and a Polish parish had to merge and come together. And their (laughs) biggest problem was this festival. It was going to be a Polish festival, or was it going to be a Mexican festival? And they decided (laughs) to merge it together. What would have helped them was to have their own homes to be able to go back to, and I do love this idea within the family of parishes. And I one of the key messages you have in your note that really hits home for me is this radical docility to the Holy Spirit. Mm. I, that really resonates for me. I really appreciate that phrase. But Archbishop, what key message do you hope the readers of this note will take away from it? Courage. Mm. Uh, I'd go back to what uh, was in my heart when I started to think about all of this upon my return to the archdiocese, and that's uh, John Paul uh, II's uh, writings about the new millennium and uh, launch out into the deep. Uh, That's what I I hope is the key message, that we need to be courageous about this, and it's not foolish uh, to be courageous. Uh, we're not foolhardy, but we we are trusting in the promises of Jesus Christ. I was meditating on the the text uh, appointed for one of the Advent weekdays, where Jesus says we have to build our house on the rock of His Word. Uh, I think sometimes other rocks look more secure, and they're really sand. It takes uh, the courage born of faith. Uh, to uh, to build on the rock of his word that, that he he his promise is uh, is sure and and even if we make mistakes the way by a natural measure you know missteps and we will uh, if we make them uh, while we're docile to the spirit and uh, by the best light we have he can bring good fruit out of them Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I I do find this whole process to be really hopeful because I think it's been clear to me just 
being in the church in the Archdiocese of Detroit, that something does need to shift. And you highlighted some of that, even with the pre-shortage. And and it's just tough. It's tough right now. And the pandemic kind of um, ushering this along, it's, it's so hopeful to me to see us doing something that is a bold step in faith. And I feel like the Synod was a bold step in faith. I feel like the document Unleash the Gospel was a bold step in faith. And again, I just see this as a fruit of that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Mike. I'm sorry, Eric. <laughs> it's like, go ahead, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm with Mary on that. I really love this idea that um, you know, it's not it's not like teams of parishes coming together. It's families of parishes. And one thing that was drilled into me, I don't know if other people have this experience, but you don't have to like your family, but you do have to love them. Was a phrase <laughs> that was in my house because I'm one of six kids. And it was a reality that we came to really appreciate one another and love each other. And so that's why the pastry ended up working out. Because in the end, we realized, no, we're yes. family. We're going to love on each other. And we're going to figure this out because we're, we have, you know, the rest of our lives going forward together. And so I, I take great hope. I love this idea and the direction that we're going. This is uh, in view of doing, being more... Uh, 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 better instruments of the Holy Spirit in evangelization. But I think even doing it is a witness to mm -hmm, the good mm -hmm. news. Uh, our doing it with confidence, with trust in the Lord, is a proclamation of his victory, of his triumph, of his lordship. And I think for those who have eyes to see, they'll see mm -hmm. that uh, there's something different about the way we go about uh, our lives and, and what we're engaged in. And one last question that I wanted to ask you, Archbishop. So uh, we have been challenged by you and by the, the Holy Spirit, obviously, to be a band of joyful missionary disciples. How do you see families of parishes, so us coming together as parishes, to be part of the work of going out and sharing the good news? Well, one of the things, this is a, <clears throat> we've got a, a very practical uh, uh, tech, uh, strategy for this. Once mm -hmm. the parish uh, gets itself uh, moving forward, uh, we're going to we're asking each. I'm having each parish engage in a strategic missionary plan. You recall right. we had to uh, stop that once the COVID began. Yep. Uh, we're going to pick up that planning, but now it will be in in the family mm. and uh, fulfilling or filling out that plan will very much involve uh, how is the, the family going to be uh, a community, a team of uh, mm. missionary bands. And it will be very much, we already have given, <clears throat> uh, we have prepared for each family uh, statistics, data about who's in the territory that uh, is likely not to be in touch with the church. Mm -hmm. uh, might be what the, what we find about people who are Catholic but aren't coming to Mass, but right. also people who are unchurched in that territory. And so uh, the family being uh, not just a home for those who are already evangelized, but uh, what's the mission of the family that hasn't been able to be met until this time? And now with this uh, new instrument, this new approach, uh, we can reach out to uh, those who need, who, who Jesus wants yes. uh, to share the Praise good God. news with. Man, that is just, it's so exciting to me. I just, I think this is, I know I keep saying it, but I think this is 
just such a unique way to really speak to the world. And I think that our our world needs voices of hope and of, of goodness and, and God's love, right? And so thinking about creative ways to do that at a central level, sometimes I think we don't always do that. And so I just take so much pride that I, I belong to this archdiocese and that, that we're going to embark on this together. I think it's going to be good. I do. I agree. I agree. Archbishop Vigneron, is there anything else you want to share about families of parishes before we move on to the next segment? No, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, have uh, the conversation with you. And uh, I, I think, uh, I guess the last thing is uh, I'd invite everybody who's listening to join me in the prayer that I make, which is to put all of this in the hands of the Holy Mother of God, uh, Our Lady of the Cenacle, who uh, prayed so uh, so ardently with the 12 apostles between the ascent, well, the uh, I guess that there were 12 by that time. Matthias won the lottery with the, uh, <laughs> right. the 12 in the upper room, uh, yeah. getting them ready uh, for uh, Pentecost. Yeah. So that in some sense, every day in the life of a, of, a, of a family will be Pentecost morning. And Our Lady is with us in the support of, of her prayers. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing about families of parishes. So each month, we ask people in the Archdiocese of Detroit to submit their questions to Eyes on Jesus Podcast at AOD.org. We ask if you're listening and you want to submit a question, you can go ahead and do that by emailing Eyes on Jesus Podcast at AOD.org with your name and your parish and, of course, your question. So our first question today comes from Vicki from Corpus Christi in Detroit. Vicki says, what is one of your favorite foods to eat as a treat? As we come off of Thanksgiving and into Christmas, what's something that you like to kind of indulge on when you have time? Oh, without doubt, uh, uh, chocolate chip cookies. That's uh, oh, like a favorite, favorite. go-to. They're so good. A good chocolate chip cookie. My husband's a connoisseur of chocolate chocolate chip cookies. So, do you have I a presume, favorite that you pick? I up? presume he likes uh, wants them to be sure to have a little extra butter in them that makes them pretty <laughs> moist. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so good. <laughs> That's awesome. The other other thing I like, uh, just uh, if I've got a little bit of a hunger, is a handful of peanuts. But I like them unsalted and dry roasted. Oh, wow. Unsalted. Bold choice, Archbishop Vigneron. Unsalted. Now, now the the kind that you actually break apart, like come in the shower? No, you can buy them. uh, You got to watch. Most everybody wants to sell them with some salt, but you 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 can find them unsalted. I know what you're getting for Christmas. <laughs> Archbishop Vigneron's going to have cases in front of the Cathedral of Unsalted Peanuts. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Excellent. Our, our next question comes from Katie, St. Genevieve, St. Maurice, and Livonia. Archbishop, what is your go-to prayer? I have a couple that uh, come very quickly to mind when uh, I feel the need to, to pass from a challenge to a prayer. One is uh, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the other is the Memorare, uh, which is a prayer I love very, very much. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary. And uh, some of you, the listeners perhaps, will remember that, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I ask people to recite the Memorare as a way to be sure to... uh, 
place our diocese, our community, under the protection of Our Lady Help of Christians. See, you uh, you gave me a really good practice with my son because I wash his hands in the bathroom, and I thought you asked us to do it while washing our hands. So yeah, that's it what takes we've been about doing. The right amount of time. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, that's so, so we, really. That's, I whenever I wash my hands, I say I'm a Marari. Oh, that's a great habit for little Eli to have, right? It is. That's it fantastic. Is. Does he know it by heart yet? Uh, I think he only follows with me. It's kind of like the way I grew up knowing the Our Father. If somebody didn't say it next to me, I couldn't say it. So when I ask him to say it, he's like, I don't know it. But when I start, he can say it along. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Um, the Jesus prayer has been, it's it's funny because you mentioned that the memorari using during the pandemic, I've, uh, when I have fear because of everything going on in our world, I've used the Jesus prayer a lot to uh, remind me of who God is and who I am. So I've, I've, and I do deep breaths with it and really I'm able to call myself. I'm surprised how present the Holy Spirit is when I really focus on that prayer. And I don't know if a lot of people know it or use it as much as we can. So it's a good reminder. The last question that we have for you today comes from Frank at St. Michael the Archangel in Livonia. Frank asks, when today's world starts to get the best of you, and you think that maybe is no one, no one is watching over you, how do you get your faith back? I, I, get, I, I look or, or uh, remember the image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And uh, first of all, I offer him whatever those dark and challenging feelings are, uh, because I know he wants to have them. That's part of what a friend is, uh, and a greater love than this no one has than to lay down his life for his friends. And then I, I ask for the dispositions of his heart, uh, which are dispositions of abandonment to the Father. Mm. So uh, it's focusing on the sacred heart of Jesus that uh, sustains me when uh, uh, in a, in a dark time, in a difficult time. I don't know if, is that clear? I, I don't know if I've explained that sufficiently. No, I think that's helpful to have the visual of the, the sacred heart. I think it's also important just to, you know, acknowledge that sometimes we all struggle, right, with, with our faith, and sometimes we can feel far away or that, uh, or that God's love is far away, right? Yes, and as a matter of fact, uh, God lets that happen uh, for his glory and, and our good, uh, because every time it does happen, uh, mm-hmm. we, we are uh, better, we're gold that's being fire tried, as mm-hmm. uh, St. Peter says, you know, like uh, our, our, whole, our faith, which is more precious than fire tried gold. Uh, being in a time of trial is not, uh, an, uh, doesn't mean that we have been abandoned by God. Mm-hmm. In fact, there, it, it's a way for God to give us the grace of finding, uh, of, of following him to a new level of uh, being a son or daughter. Hmm. What a good way to look at that. Amen. Well, Archbishop, we are coming to a close. So we wanted to ask you, is there anything that, that we can keep uh, you in our prayers for? So is there anything that you'd like us to pray for you this month with? Well, uh, yes, please. Uh, mm-hmm. If people would pray to uh, the Good Shepherd for me, that I have the grace of uh, being a shepherd after his own heart as I lead our diocese onto this uh, new path of families of parishes. 
Absolutely. Beautifully we'll said. We happens. definitely will. Thank you so much for having me as a co-host. I've really appreciated it. And it's a it pleasure. It was good having you here, Eric. It was good having you. Mary, um, do you think you... Mike needs to worry about his I job? Mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. No. <laughs> he didn't do too bad. <laughs> The three of us, Archbishop Vigneron, are really good friends in, in real life, so it's it's cool to have him here. So I'm glad that we were able to do this. Would you mind closing us out with a blessing, Archbishop? I would be honored to. Thank in you. the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, conclude by giving God the glory. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and those you love and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Archbishop. Thanks. You're welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.